This is David's Book Talk, bringing authors and book lovers together in a unique way since 2009. Visit us at davidsbooktalk.com and join the conversation at facebook.com slash davidsbooktalk. But first, pull up a chair, relax, and enjoy today's episode. Here's your host, David English. Hello, and welcome to David's Book Talk today, and today we have a very, very special guest. He's a rookie on the show. Never talked to him before, and as excited as possible. And his book, he has written it with his brother, Lee Child. Andrew Child is here to talk about Better Off Dead. Oh boy, what a title this is. (laughs) How are you? I'm doing well, David. Thank you, and thank you for taking the time to have me on your show. It's a real pleasure. You and your brother are two of the nicest. I mean, I can tell already how nice you are, but your brother is like the nicest person alive. I mean, I've never met I mean, every time I've ever met him at at conventions, and I'm sure he's mentioned me. He knows knows me from there. But every time I've met him, he's like the the most normal guy you you could ever imagine. Yeah, I think he was. I, certainly in terms of him, you're right. Yeah, he's um, he's amazing. And, you know, that is after more than a quarter of a century in the industry. Um, you know, the number of people that he's helped, it's just amazing. So yeah, what, What's amazing, and I should mention, this book is published by Delacourt. And he's been published by Delacourt for a long time, hasn't he? He was with another publisher, I think, at one point, wasn't he? Yeah, I might have the number slightly wrong, but I think he maybe did uh, the first six with one publisher. Then I think from number seven uh, onwards, I think he's been with with the same in the same place. So this is this book number twenty five. Twenty six. This one. This is twenty six. I knew mm-hmm. it says on the back twenty five, but they mean twenty five before this one. I hate I when they so. do that. Why just yeah. why not just say twenty six? <laughs> At least I think that's right. You got me worried now. No, he did twenty. He did twenty four on his own, and then we did the Sentinel, which is twenty five, and this one is twenty six. So. I love the pictures. The pictures and in, in the title page. There's always a picture of somewhere in the country on there, and I love this little picture. It's on both pages. And they, it's, I think it's a different one every book, isn't it? It is, yeah. And that's um, that's one of the great things that they do. You know, they've got somebody who who reads the early copies and who has to kind of translate the feel of the book into uh, a visual image. And um, they always come up with something that nails it. And I think it's a great skill because um, you know I need like a hundred thousand words to to tell the story, and they tell it with with a picture. I think it's fantastic. Now I don't know if I'm getting in. Now you, you told me I, there's nothing off limits here. But my right. my first question, I think everybody's question, is how did you get to start writing with your brother and what how did this come about and everybody's probably wondering is he getting tired of writing in Lee Child and that's why he's got his brother involved what's going on here yeah well I mean it, it was it was a total surprise to me I mean it turned out that he'd been he'd been thinking about it for a while but it hit me out of the blue and it came about when um, my the last of the books I wrote on my own um, had, had come out and um, Lee and I live now in southern Wyoming um, we, we're next but one la- neighbor so that means we're three and a half miles apart, yeah. So we, um, because the book came out and we live in, in, in Southern Wyoming, the launch event was going to be in Denver, Denver, Colorado. So I asked him if he wanted to come down with me, and he said that he would. So we drove down together. Um, we went in his car because he wanted to smoke. That was his excuse. Mm-hmm. And um, so he drove down. We did the event. And then we were driving home. He said, you know, he asked me if I'd drive home. And by this point, this horrendous, uh, we, what they call here a ground blizzard, had started. It 
that's where you've got snow and ice that just blows really fast horizontally in front of you from zero, literally ground level up to about 20 or 30 feet. So you really can't see where you're going. And he anticipated this, it turns out. He knew that if I was driving in those kind of conditions, I'd be kind of 99% at least focused on the driving and not killing us so that he could just slip in this question without me giving it my full attention or, or giving it a kind of knee-jerk reaction. So we're driving along and he says to me, you know, I'm thinking of retiring. And I mean, I look back and I think, God, if I was a nice brother, I would have said, yeah, that's absolutely the right thing to do. You should absolutely retire. You've worked so hard for so long. You should take some time for yourself and just enjoy life. But of course, instead, I said, what do you mean retire? What's going to happen to Reacher? Because, you know, I was the first Reacher fan. I read Killing Floor when it was still written in pencil, you know, wow. more than more than 25 years ago. So I couldn't, I didn't want, I didn't like the idea of their not having, not being a Reacher book to look forward to every year. Um, so I said, well, what's going to happen to Reacher? And he said, well, I thought maybe you'd like to join me, join me and help me write him. And I just thought, I mean, I was, I was blown away because, you know, he's created this incredible global phenomenon. I didn't think he'd trust anybody with it, let alone me. So, um, you know, I thought about it and it sounded like a challenge, which is something I've got myself in so much trouble over the years because I cannot walk away from a challenge. And, um, but the clincher was, well, if I don't, then there'll be no more Reacher. And I couldn't, I couldn't stand that idea, especially not if it was going to be my fault. So, well, did he, do you want to write something else? Is it just, or is he, does he feel locked in by, by writing Jack Reacher? Is it just, what is it? Or is he just tired of writing? Well, you know, he's, he's always loved writing Reacher. I don't think he's ever had a secret desire to write anything else. It's just that when he started, you know, he, he, he didn't start out as a writer. He was in TV for a long time. Right. He was, he was a huge reader. And he had noticed that with a lot of long-running series, not so much now, but certainly in the past, you, you, you know, you can point to a few different authors who had a, a long series where it was sort of really good for two-thirds of its run, and then it tailed off. You know, the writer got bored or he ran out of ideas or ran out of steam or whatever. And when Lee started, he, he made a promise to himself and to his readers that he would never do that. And if he ever saw the signs that he was coming, he, didn't, he, he wasn't going to be able to keep the same standard too much longer, then he would stop. And, um, you know, I remember years ago, you know, in the old days when you could go to in-person events, I think we probably went to a few of the same ones, David, didn't mm -hmm. we, actually? Um, Lee, would, somebody in the audience, I think it started round about the third book when it started to become clear that Reacher was going to be going to be a series that ran for a while. Someone in the audience would always ask, how long is this going to run and how is it going to end? And he would always say, there are going to be 21 books, because that was kind of a nod to John D. MacDonald. And um, the, the last one, Reacher would bleed to death alone on the filthy floor of a motel bathroom somewhere remote. And when he first said it, oh you could you, you know you could see people doing the math. You know they were they were thinking three books in, twenty one, eighteen to go. That's not too bad. Yeah, great. But then year by year, somebody always asked the same question. He always gave the same answer. And the closer we got to twenty one, and you know when we got past twenty one, because he went all the way to twenty four on his own, the, the the temperature in the room dropped. You could feel this sense of panic and disappointment growing. So I knew that people didn't want the series to end, and I didn't want the series to end. But Lee also felt that he he knew he had maybe another three or four books in him, and then he felt like he wouldn't be able to keep going, and he never wanted to be.
be in that position. He felt it was a bit like being an athlete or something. You know, you want to go out at the top. You don't want to be the guy who stayed around a season or two too long and let everybody down. So that was his, that was his problem. He, he, he didn't think it could keep going for more than another three or four years on his own. But he didn't ever want to be in a position where he wasn't given 100%. So the, the, his solution, because he didn't want to kill Reacher off, because he'd seen that reaction every year for the last however many years, he didn't want to kill Reacher off because he knew people would be disappointed. So he said that he woke up one day. He said that he had this kind of daydream that um, he could somehow wake up 15 years younger, more energetic, new ideas, you know, ready to keep going. You know, and he sort of fantasized about some magic potion that he could could take or something but then he thought well wait a minute I don't need to there's a guy who lives three miles down the road who's got the same DNA as me same taste in everything as me same attitudes as me you know why not ask Andrew to do it and you've read every, you've read every one of the series Oh, absolutely. I mean, I read them all when they came out, and then, um, you know, some of them I've read multiple times. Just well, I'm curious, I'm curious, when, when you yeah. first picked up The Killing Floor and you started reading it, did you think, oh, yeah, this seems like something my brother would write? Absolutely, but the thing is, back then, the boot was completely on the other foot, because at the time, we were both living in England, I had a really good job working for a telecommunications company, and Lee was broke, and he was out of work, so... He needed this book to work. This is how he was going to feed his family. This is how he was going to pay his mortgage. So when he sent it to me as a kind of acid test before he you know, tried to get it published, I was terrified because I thought, first of all, if it's no good, I'm going to have to tell my brother. I'm going to have to call my big brother and say, sorry, mate, your book is terrible. I really didn't want to have to do that. Would you really have done that had it been terrible? Well, absolutely I would, yeah. I think that's why, that's why he sent it to me rather than anyone that's else. That's true. Because he knew I would. I wouldn't have wanted to, but it's better than telling him it's good when it's not. That's right, the worst thing exactly. You someone. But then on top of that, I thought, well, if it is bad, then what am I going to do? Am I going to have to send him food parcels? You know, am I going to have to let him live in my spare room? What's going to happen? And so, yeah, I have never been more nervous re starting to read a book in my life than, uh, than reading. And Killing Floor is a very violent book, too. It is. Well, you know, he'd lost his job. He wasn't happy about it. He was he was really angry about the changes that had been made in the television industry in the UK where he'd been working for so long. So, yeah, he was really mad. So he got a lot of that out on the page, I think. <laughs> That's great to be able to do that. I mean, you have to take your frustrations out somehow. So oh, what better way than to write it on the page where everybody else can read it? <laughs> they, can, they can all commit. Is there anything better than commiserating with other people? I mean, when you have a real, something that's really bothering and you tell somebody else about it, it's like you've taken that weight off your shoulder. It really is. It really is. You know, it's, there are lots of expressions, aren't there, about, you know, a burden shared is a burden halved and all that kind of thing. So if you can share that burden with, uh, you know, with, with, with lots of readers, then it's, it's even better. It's lovely. Well, we need to talk about, we need to talk about the new book, Better Off Dead. Now, this starts out with a woman who wants to be dead. I mean, she literally is ready to kill herself. Yeah, she is. And, you know, what I wanted to do, there's, there's her and there's at least one other character that this applies to where what I wanted to do was really try to look at a lot of times in thrillers, <clears throat> particularly with supporting characters, uh, there's a tendency for them to be a little bit one-dimensional. You know, they're either good or they're bad. You know, and you figure that out fairly early. Sometimes they're pretending to be one thing when they're another, but fundamentally they're one thing or the other. And what I wanted to do with, with a couple of characters in this book was, was, was just 
well, let's try and make them a little bit more real because in real life, it's very rare to have somebody that's entirely good or entirely bad. So the woman that you mentioned, yeah, she wishes she was dead because she has screwed up royally. She's made some terrible decisions. She's done some stupid things that have had, she believes, awful consequences. So she is, she's at the end of her rope. She's ready to, she's ready to put an end to it all. And, um, you know, I think a lot of us have had times in our lives where we've felt that everything, it's like the reverse of the Midas touch, you know, you, we, we all go through spells where everything we touch just, just you know, right. turns, to, turns to disaster. And, and, and uh, we wonder, you know, is it worth going on? Is it, am I, do I really want to go on? Sometimes you have a day where you just feel blah, and you, you just feel like, I, I don't know if I want to continue living. I, I think we've all had a day like that, haven't we? I think so. You know, that's what I was trying to tap into because, you know, you need a kind of emotional connection so that when you're reading a book, you know, you, you recognize, I mean, we may not have been marooned in the middle of a desert in Arizona, but we've all had that feeling of, oh my God, I've, just, I've ruined everything. What, what's even the point, you know? You, you, and, you must have had really, you must have, I don't know if they're still alive, but your parents, you must have great parents because <laughs> you're, just, you're just both such nice, personable people. But it's, and I, I, every time I, somebody's nice to me, as nice as, as you've been already, and I, I, this is the first time we've ever talked, other than online, people think, well, they probably planned all this in advance. None of this is planned in advance. I have no idea what I'm going to ask you. I really don't. And other than, I, I have some ideas of what I want to I did want to ask you, though, about the intricacy of, you know, how, how does he write these where plots where where you, you go in these buildings and he knows it's like he's been in these buildings and he knows all the does he actually go to buildings and write all this down or how does he do that well he doesn't, or how do you do that well I, you know i think certainly i've had to adapt a little bit to, to work with him but we do work generally in a very similar way and with the research part first of all because the question really breaks down into two bits there's kind of research and then there's how you plan the book and the research part, I think the, the way I'd like to think about it is, for me anyway, researching a book is a bit like making wine, for example, because if you just go to a, a, a vine and you pick some grapes and you squeeze them into the glass, you might have some very nice grape juice, <clears throat> but it's not wine yet, you know? It, if you want it to reach its full potential, then it has to mature, it has to ferment, and that needs time. So I never go and say, like the location for this book, for example, I never go and say, oh, um, think I might set a book in Arizona. Let's go see what it's like. You know, I will have been to the location at some point. I will have absorbed it all. It will be in the back of my mind somewhere, brewing away. And then when you then, we, we start out by saying, okay, what kind of mood do we want for this book? What kind of feel do we want? And that all leads to what kind of location we need. And then something will sort of bubble to the surface from all of that stuff brewing away at the back of their minds. So we do a lot of research. In fact, we're constantly researching, but it's not specifically targeted at a specific book or a specific scene or a specific building. It's all stuff that, um, that percolates away at the back of your brain somewhere and then pops out when it's ready. So that's what we do with the, with the research. That's how we come up with things like the locations and, and that kind of thing. But then with the, how intricate the books are, that was, a, that was maybe the biggest adjustment for me because um, I was never a big, 
big outliner with the books I wrote on my own. Um, but I did always like a little more of an idea of where the books were going. Whereas with Lee, he literally has no idea where they're going. He doesn't want to have an idea where they're going. He, he fervently believes that if he did plan it out too far in advance, just the way his brain works, he would, by the time it came to writing it, he'd be bored of it already, and it, that would come across on the page. So what he does, I guess, the best way to put it is that, you know, what you might do is kind of lay on your couch and plan the entire book from start to finish. You know, a lot of people do. They have it on cards or stick it on pages on the wall or whatever. So you do all of that planning and plotting and thinking up front. Whereas Lee doesn't. With him, it's kind of distributed throughout the book. And I think it works really well because what it means is that every decision that the character makes or a bad guy or whoever makes is made with the absolute up-to-date information that's available at that moment. And it seems authentic and it seems real. You know, I think we've all read books where the kind of the, the, the outlining shows through sometimes, you know, the skeleton shows through where um, you can see that the author had decided in advance that the book was going to take a particular direction. By the time he reached a fork in the road, it actually would have made more sense to go left by now because other things had happened. But he was committed to going right, so that's what happened, and then nothing feels authentic after that. And I think that's one massive thing that Lee avoids with the method that he uses. Well, what um, it's interesting because I, when I first read The Sentinel, that was the first book you wrote with your brother, I didn't like it. I have to admit it. I didn't like it at first. And then for some reason, I went back and when they sent it to me recently, I went back and read it again and I loved it. And I'm thinking to myself, why did I, didn't, why did I dislike it the first time I read it? Sometimes you're just not in the mood to read a book, I think. I think it's just a mood you're in sometimes. Because when I read The Sentinel the second time, I couldn't put it down. I literally... I literally put my other book down to finish it because it was so fascinating to me. Excellent. Well, I'm, I'm certainly happy with the second. <laughs> the second. <laughs> well, why did I feel that way in the first time? I kind of feel guilty. I'm like, why, why did I feel that way? What was it about it that didn't grab me at first? Yeah, I know. I would love to know because, um, you, you know, some people will say, a lot of authors say that they avoid reading any reviews and they avoid listening to what That's people think idea. about the book. But actually, I, I, I can't, well, Lee and I are the, kind of the same with this. We do look at the reviews. We do read them because we're quite um, forensic, really. You know, we want to know what people think. We want to understand the process of why people buy one book rather than another. Well, how, would you, how would you feel if a fan came up to you and said, you know, I hate your books. They're all terrible. I mean, what would you, how would you feel? Would that, would that hurt your feelings or would you well, just like, but you, you, at the same time, you're glad they're reading them though. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, it would all depend on, on, on whether they had good reasons for it, you know, because the first thing is that, you know, it takes a long time to write a book. It's a hard thing to do. You know, there are sleepless nights. There are times you're tearing your hair out because you can't get it to work. Right. You know, it's, it's a hard thing to do and, and it's really quite personal what you're putting out there. And um, particularly with all the online stuff, you know, some of the things people write, I'm thinking, come on, my kids read this stuff, please, you know. But um, so if it was somebody just sort of saying, oh, your book sucks, then, you know, I, I wouldn't pay it too much attention. But if somebody 
had a good reason, if they had something that I could I could understand and something that I could use to make the future ones better, then that's a different story. I can't tell, reading these two books, I can't tell what you wrote and what he wrote. There's no, in my mind, it's just seamless, which I think is incredible. Because when you see another author in a book, you're like, oh no, he's got a co-author. What's it going to be like? Is it going to be as good as the other ones? That's the first thought you have. How good is this one going to be compared to the other ones where it's just him writing? So you're, you're scared at first. And it's not, like no, it's not because nobody likes you. It's just they have to be able to trust you. Absolutely. And you have to earn that trust, you know. I, I, you know, because everything I've done approaching the writing these books has been from the position of being a Reacher fan. You know, if, if it had been someone else doing it, I would have been, I would have had questions. I would have been saying, well, what's this going to be like then? And I would have been probably quite dubious at first too. So, you know, we understood that that was the challenge we were facing and, um, you know, took it very, very seriously. And I'm delighted that you can't tell the difference between who, who wrote what. That was exactly what I was trying to achieve. And that was really the hardest part because um, the character, as far as the character is concerned, you know, he came from my brother's subconscious. My brother is very, very like me. When I first read Killing Floor, like I was saying a few minutes ago, you know, the way that story unfolds, it's first person, so you're seeing everything just through the hero's eyes. And it's ages until you learn the character's name because, of, you know, he gets arrested and he won't cooperate and everything else. So um, I remember so clearly thinking, I don't know this character's name, but I know this character because my brother invented him and I know how my brother would respond in these types of situations. I know what he would do and what would annoy him and what would please him and what he could turn a blind eye to and what he couldn't. So, and then that was, that was more than 25 years ago. We've lived with Reacher since then. He's been like an imaginary extra brother for us, you know, whenever So you we could actually write these books by yourself. I mean, you could, you could, I mean, without, could you, you really think you could write them without even him helping you at all? Absolutely. And this, but the thing about it is the character part I wasn't worried about because I felt like, yeah, I've known this, even though he's imaginary, I've known him for a quarter of a century. I can absolutely tell his story. But what I knew I had to really pay attention to was the way they were written because that is really, really critical. It has a unique voice, the, the Reacher books, and the, it's, it's as if it kind of disguises a machine. You know, what, what Lee's done is he's created a machine with words that grab you at the beginning and will not let you go until the final, the, the end of the book. And that's something that he never really gets the credit for that he deserves. Um, I was reading a, a review the other day, I can't remember who, where it was, it was in a, a newspaper somewhere, I think, and the guy had been sent a copy of the new Jonathan Franson and the new Lee, Lee Andrew Child. And he was saying, well, you know, of course, the Franson book is brilliant, it's fantastic. Um, I, I, I kind of lost interest after 100 pages, so I haven't finished it, so I can't kind of comment on the final part, but, um, you know, yeah, the, it, the first 100 pages were, were really good, and then he says, you know, with, with the, the, the Reacher book, you know, I mean, obviously you can't call it literature, but God, I couldn't put it down, I raced through it, you know, um, and what kind of has frustrated me all these years is that, well, it's not an accident that you can't put it down, it's not an accident that you that you race through, it's because it's, cons it's like a Swiss watch, it's constructed so carefully that that is what it's designed to do. Were you guys both like shy kids growing up, or were you were you as outgoing as you are now? I mean, were you what were you like as a child? Well, you know, it's it's hard to comment on Lee because we, you know, we are 
quite a few years apart in age, so he'd really left home before. Oh. Yeah, but but for me, I don't know. I mean, I I always love telling stories. Storytelling is is just what I've loved. And if I could have been an actor, if I could have been a rock star, <laughs> that's what I would have loved to have done. But I've got no talent for those things, so um, I couldn't do it. So I guess it's it's one of those things. I think a lot of people are kind of you know somewhat extroverted but also somewhat introverted especially where I live now you know I can go weeks literally weeks without even seeing another person apart from my wife so um, I'm not one of those people who's kind of addicted to company but um, you know I enjoy getting to talk to people um, especially when it's about something I like like books you know so is it is it is the story about the woman reaching for the packet, the thing at the grocery store, and that's how he created the name. Is that really true? Is that really how he created the, the name? Yeah, that's one. That's absolutely true. Yeah, that was back. <laughs> that was back when. It, yeah, again, I, and I like you know, like we were saying, you don't you don't find out the character's name early in that book, and that's partly because he hadn't thought of it yet. He couldn't come up with a good name, and uh, yeah, his wife uh, asked him to go to the grocery store with her because they had to pick up the week's food. Um, and you know, I, I've had this same thing happen because if you're a fairly tall person, nearly always when you're at the, at the grocery store, some somebody uh, will will ask you to, to reach something for them off a, a high shelf. And this happened to him that day. A lady asked him to reach down a can of something. And so his wife turned to him and said, well, you know, if this writing thing doesn't work out, you can always be a reacher in a supermarket. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. I mean, that's, that's just one of those stories you're just like, oh, wow. I mean, the, the little things in life are what create the big things. And it's like... You know, and, and what are the what are the statistics now? How many books sold? How many countries? Tell me some of the statistics. I'm yeah. curious. I mean, honestly, I don't know all of them. Um, I know that it's um, 101 countries. Um, That's insane. It really is insane. It's it's absolutely unbelievable, really. Um, 100? I didn't even know there were 101. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was, I was just worried then in case you asked me to list them all. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But you know, about how many have been sold overall? Oh, I, I, I couldn't even have a stab at it. Probably, you know, across the whole series, hundreds of millions, I'm sure. That's insane. I, I can't. And Lee is such a regular guy. I mean, you meet him and you would never know how successful he's been by looking at him. You know, some people you look at him like, oh, yeah, he's successful. He's got, he's got bling hanging all, all over his body. You know, you know they're <laughs> successful, but you never know with Lee. He's just the most, the, the most easygoing guy. I mean, to, you, that you can even talk to him is amazing. I mean, you think, well, he's probably totally unapproachable. Well, you know, I think, you, you know, you mentioned their parents before, and I'm sure that's really partly due to, due to them, the way they brought us up. You know, we were always taught, you know, you, you focus on the job. You, get, if you, you know, you, you, you do the work. And um, Did you always get along, you and he? Always. We absolutely did. And part of that is because of the age difference, I think. You know, we, we never had that awkward, you know, if we were, if, if we were the sort of typical two or three years apart, nearly always you're going to have episodes where, you know, as kids, you know, there was a dispute over a toy or, you know, something, you know, or, you know, but there was none of that with us because, it, it, in fact, what he always says is that, you know, he was the middle one of three and he always felt out of place as if, you know, the other two had nothing to do with him. Like, he was really a changeling from the hospital and he couldn't wait to leave home and go to college and everything. So then when I came along several years later, um, you know, clearly the accident following the summer, summer vacation, you know, um, he, he 
sort of looked at the way I was I was starting, to, you know, when I was old enough to start to have any kind of personality, he was like, whoa, wait a minute, he is like me. Maybe there is something to this genetic thing after all. And um, I remember one of my very favorite early memories, I must have been three or four years old or something, and I'd done something, I was in disgrace with my father, I can't even remember what I did, something that he thought was bad. And Lee was home visiting, and, you know, he, he, he stood up for me. And I thought, wow, no one's ever done this before. So afterwards, you know, I said, well, thanks. And he was like, well, you know, you, I'll stand up for you. You stand up for me. This is the way it's going to be. And that's, you know, that was a long, long time ago now. And we've always done that. Whatever the situation, you know, we've always had each other's backs. And I think a lot of it is because so much doesn't have to be explained between us because we automatically understand, you know, the, the other, what the other person's response is going to be or reaction or attitude. One of the one of the, my favorite region books is the one with the subway uh, thing. I think it's called. I forget what it's called now. It's the one that has the subway car on the front cover. I can't even remember the name of it. I think that one's Gone Tomorrow. Yeah, that's it. Gone Tomorrow. Yeah. That's one of my favorites. I don't know why. There's just something about that book that really got to me. I think sometimes, you know, it's the subject matter or what it's about or how it's written or what it... What, sometimes you just hit one that's like, this is really perfect. Yeah. I don't know why that is, but... But, you know, that's a great example because, uh, I mean, looking back at the time, I had no inkling, but I remember the year that he was about to start writing that book, um, we were hanging out together and we were chatting about things. And we're both very curious people. We read all kinds of things in all different areas. You know, it could be the back of a serial packet. It could be an article in a newspaper or a magazine. Or, when, you know, you go on these rabbit holes down the things on the Internet, learning obscure facts. And bizarrely enough, I just come across a thing about the way that the Israeli security services would, would spot suicide bombers. You know, they had this list of, of characteristics. So I mentioned this to him. And boom, immediately he's like, don't quite know how yet, but that's that's going to be that's going to be that's going to be the book, you know. And then you know that morphed into the opening of the book that you described with the subway car, where um, there's somebody who sees somebody displaying all these characteristics. So it's um, you know now of course <laughs> we have to do that because we have to sort of do the the, the daydreaming part together where we're figuring out what's going to happen. Do you have any Do you have any fear writing the books? I mean, are you afraid you're going to mess up, or you're afraid some? I mean, you have your brother there to pick you up. So obviously, but do do you have any fear at all? Well, yeah. I mean, how how can you not? You know, that that's the main fear, honestly. Is is that um, it, I would I would ruin his legacy and disappoint the readers. But you know, if you if you face a, a, a scary situation, you've you've got two choices, haven't you? You can either walk away or you can go for it anyway. So um, I just felt now you've. And again, this is probably going back to our parents. You know, my I remember very clearly when I was um, when I was a kid. You know, if I had homework to do from school. And if I came downstairs and said, oh, Dad, I can't do this homework, he was very fierce. He was from Northern Ireland. He had this accent that could shatter glass, and he would say, there's no such word as can't. Go back upstairs. Do not come back until you've done it, you know? Wow. He, just, he would just ne he would never give an inch. And um, it, so, you know, I, I, that was kind of bred into us. You know, sure, it's going to be difficult, but, um, you know, in fact, I, I was, I was, another thing I, I really am obsessed about is, is was the space race in the 60s. Mm. And I, I remember the speech that JFK gave when he was announcing uh, the man on the moon. <clears throat> you know, that, that's, that was the goal. And in the speech, it said something like, we do these things not because they are easy, but because 
that's something that I had in mind. You know, yes, it's going to be difficult, but what's the point of doing something if it's easy? You've got to stretch yourself, and you've, you've you know, you've got to, you've got to go big. Exactly, and as scary as it is, I mean, you admit it's scary. Yeah, you can admit it's scary, but just do it. You know, just and but some things will make like me. I mean, if I had to climb up a a ladder that was really really tall, I'm scared. I'm terrified of heights. So the thought of like climbing at the top of a building and looking over the edge and and and, and it just terrifies me. It, or even hang gliding. I can't even imagine hang gliding. I mean, I'm absolutely terrified of heights. But would I, I don't know if I could ever overcome that, but it's easy to say, well, just go and do it. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it's, it's easier said than done, obviously. It's given me more than a few sleepless nights trying to, you know, make sure that I do give it my best shot. But, you know, I try to, I try to practice what I preach. And, you know, I've got, I've, got two, I've got two daughters, and when they were at school, when they were, you know, facing exams or doing, you know, projects that were, that were really challenging or whatever, I would always sit them down and say, listen, doesn't matter what grade you get, doesn't matter what the teachers say. All that matters is that you know that you gave it your best shot. If you do that in life, then you're fine. And um, of course, it's easier said than done because it's fine when it's somebody else having to do the work. And you know, but um, you know, that's what I try to remember is that end of the day, all you can do is your best. And um, that's that's what I try. That's what I try to do every time. Now, this villain in this book, who is absolutely incredible, his name just makes me laugh. Den, how do you even spell, how do you even pronounce it? Den Donker. Den Donker, yeah. And in fact, Lee likes it. He, he, he thinks that it sounds it, it, it sounds like somebody falling down a flight of stairs, which is the way he's. It does actually. He's right. It. <laughs> what a great analogy. <laughs> And, and especially like that, since, you know, this is a character that you would like to see falling down, you know, more than one flight of steps. But, well, I mean, what a great name. It's, and, it's, and it stands out. It's like, wow, what is that name? Where does that name come from? And, you know, can I even pronounce it? I'm looking at it. Can I, you know? But, and you know what's, what else is interesting in this book is Jack Reacher gets naked. He does. He gets naked. Now that's going to throw everybody out of whack. Everybody's like, "What do you mean he gets naked? What are you talking about?" <laughs> but I'm not even—I'm not even going to elaborate on that. So I'm just going to let people find out for themselves what I mean. Because when you I get to that it. point, you'll know exactly what we mean. But <laughs> I love it. Talk, talk about a hook. That is, that is the best one ever. I love it. <laughs> they should have—they should have used that in the ads. Can you imagine if they did that on TV? Oh, that would be brilliant, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, that's all, all they would need to say, wouldn't it? Would be, you know, Jack Reacher naked. You'd have everybody at the bookstore clamoring for the books. Not that they don't already anyway, but hey, can you imagine how fun that would be? Oh, it would be brilliant. I you could put it that. on the posters at your events. Oh, my God. I mean, I just think of the fun you could have. <laughs> it would. It would be absolutely brilliant. They certainly, they so do you, think, do, you, do you think we met at, at one of the at one of the Bachelor Cons, maybe? Or maybe I even saw you? I'm sure we did, because I remember a while ago when we were when we were emailing, we were talking about different events of Lee's that we've been. So I'm sure we I'm sure we did, yeah. Isn't that weird that maybe we've met and don't even know it? That's it's, it's kind of weird to think of. <laughs> it is, and certainly voucher cons. I mean, we must have crossed. I, I, I think I went from all of them from 2008 through to 2019, which was the you know the one before the pandemic messed everything up. So what is your what is your schedule like? I mean, I assume you're working on the next book even as I we speak. Well, that's right, yeah, because um, for two reasons, really. One is that Lee has 
kind of a superstition, but it also is practical in that it gives some structure to the year. He always likes to start the new book on September 1st, so the new one is, is, is underway. And the other reason is that, um, you know, in publishing they have this thing where they like to put the beginning of the next book into the paperback of the previous book. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, so um, they're, they're already, even though the hardcover only just came out, they're already, um, you know, putting the plans together for the paperback version. So they uh, they want to get a sense of what the opening of the new one is going to be, how long is, you know, what because it's all very well to say, oh, we'll put in the first chapter, but, you know, how long is that chapter? It might be a really short one. You might need five chapters. You know, you, might, you need exactly. a kind of a sensible chunk of the story anyway. So that's what they, that's what we're working so on for them. So here's the big, big, big question. Can you say anything about it? I, I really can't, I'm afraid. No, I mean, this is, oh this, is what's so, this is what's so different about, about the, you know, having, having moved into, into this universe is that, you know, when it, when it was my books only, I could, I could pretty much say anything I wanted, but now. <laughs> You're sworn to secrecy. I, I may be in trouble for even asking, you know. <laughs> I have no idea. I'll probably get a call from the publisher saying, "What are you doing? Don't be doing that." <laughs> but, uh, but no, you know, the rest assured, it is on it. It's well on the way. Um, I mean, I could, I could come up with, you know, sort of, you know, cliches about it opening with a bang or whatever, which, which is pointless. So I'm just going to say we have started it, and uh, I wish I could say more. But why do I you am. think? I mean, why do you think Jack Reacher is so much of a loner? I mean, why doesn't he have? suitcases why is he traveling from all these city to city i mean what do you think is the real reason well i think it really it really comes down to what people want from fiction what what role does fiction play and one of the things that i think we all want is you know you want to get something out of fiction that you can't have in your real life and if you look at a couple you know a couple of times when Richard has the popularity has grown even greater. It tends to be after things like the big financial crash, you know. You've got yourself in a situation where you've got car loans, you've got a mortgage to pay, you've got all of that kind of stuff, your credit cards, your electricity bills, you've got all this stuff hanging over you, you know. What does Richard have? He has a toothbrush, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And I think that that idea that you, you can be free of all of the things that weigh you down in your real life is, is huge. And I think the fact that um, Richard can do the things that we probably all want to do but can't. You know, he sees some trouble brewing. He's not frightened. He doesn't have to run away. He can steam into the middle of it and put it, put it right. He can, you know, his heads need to be cracked. He can crack them. I wonder if there's uh, anybody who's calculated how many people he has killed over 25, 26 oh, books. I'm sure they have. I'm sure they have. It's going to be, it's going to be I should look that up on the internet. I'll bet, there's, I'll bet there's some figures somewhere. Somebody yeah. who has sat down and counted everything, everyone that he's been killed. I know. But that's a funny thing because, you know, in the end, quite a few people did wind up getting killed in, in Better Off Dead, but we didn't actually set out. You know, we didn't say, oh, let's kill lots of people in this book. We just, you know, we kind of set the stage you know, with the villains and then let Reacher do what he needed to to do, and that did wind up with, with nearly all of them dead, yeah. <laughs> how, come you, how come you're such a nice guy? I mean, you are just one of the, the, the sweetest people I've ever interviewed. I mean, I and I, I had no idea what to expect. I mean, I could get an idea from online that you were going to be really nice. And when you first started talking to me, I thought, no way, this, this can't really be him. This is probably somebody pretending to be him. Well, that would be a great idea, actually, wouldn't it? Have somebody to, you know, how, you know how they have people that stand in for nude scenes in movies and stuff, you know, we could. 
but I, I'd have to find somebody who knows all the time. I mean, you you could probably recite all the titles from beginning to up till now if, if given the opportunity. Oh yeah, you know, because part of not wanting to screw it up was, you know, people love the read your books so much they memorize all of the details, and I've got a pretty good memory for that kind of thing, but I'm you know not infallible. So in the little period of time we had between, you know, us knowing what was going to happen and it coming out in public, um, I did, I went back and read them all, all over again, just so that I had them a little bit fresher in my mind, so, you know, I think I can remember most of the stuff, but I'm sure there are people out there that have got, um, have what got is, much what better has, memories. I'm curious what the reaction has been to you co-writing. I mean, what, what, are, what, are, what, are, what kind of letters are you getting, and what are people saying about that? Are they, are they happy about it? I mean, overwhelmingly, yes. Um, I can't say 100% because, you know, we do get some, um, you know, we do get some, some nastier ones, and you can see online there's a few people that haven't, haven't taken well to the change. But the, the overwhelming uh, sort of swell of opinion seems to be that people know that if, 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 it, if I wasn't doing this, then there wouldn't be Reacher, and they really want Reacher. So I'm sure that none of them were lying there in bed at night thinking, God, if only Andrew would take this over. But they certainly didn't want Reacher to disappear. So, how, do you, how do you feel? Is Reacher growing with every book? Is he changing at all, do you think? Well, you, you know, that, that's a very interesting one because Lee and I talked about this time after time, and not just about Reacher, about characters in general, and should you have characters that change and develop and so on. And with Reacher, I mean, it was it was a kind of deliberate thing from him right from the beginning, partly because he would argue that Reacher is really just the current version of the story which has been going for thousands of years, you know, the knight errant who shows up out of nowhere, fixes the problems and leaves. So, you know, he's a he's an iconic character, he's a he's an archetype. So, um do you change an archetype? Well, I think you kind of mold him to to be relevant for the for the current day. Um, but I don't think you really want him to change. I think one of the things that's so good about him is that he is consistent. You know what you're going to get from Reacher. You know what Reacher's going to do. And um, in in fact, when I when I first met the the publishers in London, they wanted to um, talk about when we floated the idea was was this going to be a good thing to do so they asked me what I was going to do with, with Reacher so I said to them so what what I would do would be the beginning of the of the next book this is you know the, the first one that we did together I said I, what I would see would be Reacher coming out of his encounter group and um, you know getting into his minivan to drive to Home Depot to pick up his lawnmower <laughs> and you could see the look on their faces they, they for a moment they, they thought I was serious, and they, they were horrified, and then they realized, no, <laughs> we, we understand that Reacher is a particular thing. You know, Like I mentioned, our father was from Ireland, so he could, he could get away with these things, and he always used to say that things should be the same, only different. <laughs> and that's kind of what we aim for, you know. We want, we want Reacher to be the kind of consistent central point. <laughs> things, are, things around him change, and you see him from different aspects. But, you know, Reacher himself, he's not suddenly going to decide that he doesn't care if there's a bad guy in the town who's doing mean things to innocent people. You know, he's not going to change. Um, so, interestingly, though, I guess with some of the prequels that Lee did, you know, in a way, he sort of 
changed him in reverse because the prequels gave him an opportunity to show Reacher as a younger man, you know, perhaps somebody that was a little less experienced or a little less cynical or, you know, someone with fewer miles on the clock. So in a strange way, you could kind of look at the prequels as saying that that was a way of changing Reacher. Well, it certainly it, it, was. Yeah, you know, it, 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 it spooled back the time. But no, I mean, in terms of, of Reacher in the future, I mean, one of the reasons I love the books and I used to look forward to them every year was because you have that delicious sense of, you know, Reacher walks into town, you realize there's a bad guy there, you know there's a puzzle to be solved, and you know that there's a villain to, to be vanquished. And I don't think, in the, in the 26 books, I don't think there's a bad book in the whole series. I cannot remember any, and I don't, and I would certainly remember if one was a dud. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, and it's really quite amazing when you think about it that to be able to keep a series going for 26 books, you think, oh my God, aren't people sick of them by now? No, they're not. And that's what that's what makes the series even more wonderful because nobody is sick of them. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, that, that was something again that I bore in mind when I was deciding whether to to do this because you know you don't want to be the person who's, who's you know who's jumping on board right when the train is running out of steam. You know? Exactly. <laughs> You want to you wanna say, no, this, this, theme, this train is running at full speed and it has the potential to keep doing that for a long time. Now, are there, are there going to be any more movies? Is there any word on any more movies or, or is, are they going to stop at just the two? Yeah, there's, 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 there's definite news on this. So there will definitely not be more movies. But really? what, what's happened instead, um, there was, well, because when, when the movie thing came, came about, the original contracts were signed a long time ago. And that was before... who's playing Jack Reacher? They have, yeah. It's an actor called Alan Richardson. And um, I've not met him. Lee has met him and says he is absolutely 100% right for the part. Get out um, of here. This is a shock. I mean, this is, I had no idea what you were going to say when I asked this question. But Yeah. No, I mean, I've, I've not had any... I, I'm, I'm, this is completely neutral from my point of view. I've had nothing to do with it. I've only been involved with the books. But um, the, 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 so the, what they wanted to do, the first series to make essentially Killing Floor, you know, take the first book and turn it into the first oh, season. yes, absolutely. Go and, for and, it. and the benefit of doing the TV is that you don't have to condense everything into 90 minutes, you know. You can take the time that you need. People always say they like reading the Reacher books because they can think along with Reacher. Right. And that's what you lost in the movies because there wasn't time. You know, Reacher had to just jump to the conclusions and it came off almost kind of cartoony that he would do that. But with the episodes there are going to be, um, you know, six, eight or something, you know, they can take their time and, and make the most of all the material. So they filmed it in Canada and um, apparently, they were going to film it in Georgia where the book was set, but um, things went out, um, out of whack with, with 
Canada somewhere and um, no expense spared. The actors are apparently fantastic. Alan apparently does an amazing job as Reacher. He's, he's physically right for it. And when are we gonna, the question is when we're going to see it. Well, I don't know 100% because, you know, with Amazon, they are very data-driven and they have all kinds of... But, but the best information I've got, so don't hold me to this if it changes, is probably something like late January, early February next year. That quick? That's yeah. right around the corner. It is, yeah, because it's already all shot. They're just they're, they're editing it right now. So, oh my um, God, that's amazing. Yeah, Lee's already seen rough cuts of, of most of the episodes. So, and he's uh, happy with it. He's extremely happy with it. Yeah. The, and the, oh my, I'm I'm just in shock. I had I had <laughs> no and. Well, that's that's fabulous because then it, it means I get to I get to give an answer that makes you happy. So I'm I'm very pleased about Does that. Does Jack Reacher have an age? I mean, has, do we know how old he is, or is it just like you don't want to say that? Or well, you know, again, brilliant question because um, this is one of the problems with the long running series because yeah, you, it is absolutely spelled out in in a couple of the books when Reacher was born. So therefore, we know exactly how old he is. And if you were to be very sort of pedantic about, well, could a person of that age be doing the things that Reacher is doing? Well, no, probably not. But, um, so we've got to decide how to handle that. Do we make it that Reacher ages chronologically based on the year that the book came out? <clears throat> or do we kind of ignore it? Because if we go chronologically, do people want to be reading books where, you know, Reacher's sort of walking around on a walking frame or using, you know, we, <laughs> exactly, I, don't, yeah. I don't think we want that. I think what we want is Reacher doing his thing time after time. And the way to do that is to say, well, sure, when it was appropriate years ago, when the series was getting on its feet, those kind of details were mentioned. But today, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to say Reacher is there. He's doing his thing. And... Um, I'm just going to... Yeah, after all, Nancy Drew was 18 the whole series of books. She never <laughs> turned 19. <laughs> she was always... Eight. I mean, no matter how many adventures that woman had, she always was 18. Yeah, she she just stays 18 through the whole book series. It's amazing. So you don't even need that. I think maybe it's better when they don't age. You just you have that perfect vision of them the whole time you're reading the books. Exactly. Unless there's a particular reason that they need to. You know, if you feel that you need to contrast a kind of young and naive version of the character against an old and experienced one for some reason, you know, there are things that you could do. But I don't think it's helpful. And I don't think it adds anything particularly to Reacher. I think all you'd be doing would be taking things away. And um, who wants to do that, you know? Exactly. I and mean, why, why would you want to do that? Do, do you get any say as far as what the title's going to be? Generally, we do, yeah. It, it's, not, it's not guaranteed because if we came up with a title that they absolutely hated, then um, we don't get the final word. But um, and my experience, not just with Reacher but with other books too, is that it tends to either be that the title you come up with is an everybody likes immediately and is fine, or <laughs> it takes ages to figure something out that everybody likes. So um, the... So far, we're doing well. The the the, um, the Sentinel and Better Off Dead were, were both titles that Lee and I came up with, and everybody everybody. You think liked. it's easy, and then you try to think of a title, and you think, you know, it's not so easy. It's like coming up with a baby name. How do you come up with a perfect baby name? You know? I know. God, that was the. I think honestly, that was the 
most stressful experience of my life trying to come up with names for your kids because you know that they're stuck with that name for the rest of their lives, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That, but it doesn't. I mean, better off that is such a great title. I mean, you can't. It, it, it conveys this. Who's better off that? And and you know, they're going. People are going to open the book up to read it to find out who's better off that. Yeah, and I love that because you know one of Lee's principles has always been that what you have to do is kind of either ask or imply a question as early as you can, so that people will want to find out the answer. And um, if you can do it with the title, <laughs> that's the best thing of all, isn't it? Because then it's, it's automatically there, and it makes people turn the page. Now, what about your writing? That you, you are, how many books have you written yourself? I wrote nine. Nine. Are you still going to write other books? I would like to, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'd like to. The series I was doing um, before the, the Reacher thing came up, um, I'd like to do at least one more of those, because I feel like it's kind of left up in the air a little bit. And your wife has written how many books? Tasha oh Alexander. Yeah, she, she, I lose track, honestly. She's 15 or 16 at least. Wow. Well, that's amazing. And, yeah. and their, her mysteries are set where? They are, uh, they will feature a, uh, a Victorian, well, initially a Victorian widow. Um, probably not too much of a spoiler to say that she winds up um, remarried, but uh, she starts out in 1890 in London. And the series moves forward from there, so it's well into the 20th century now. And uh, she set it up in such a way that the the, the heroine um, is independently wealthy, so she can travel all around the world. And um, wherever she goes, of course, she winds up not only in kind of beautiful, exotic places that are really interesting to read about, but she winds up getting involved in some kind of mystery. You know, somebody's dead, the work of art has been stolen, something like that. And uh, there are always always reasons why the hero, the heroine lady Emily has to has to be the one who, uh, who who fixes the problem. Now, what what do you think your father would have thought if you had told him that you were both going to go into writing? <laughs> now, before you became as famous as you are now, I mean, he'd be so proud of you now. There's no doubt in my mind. But what do you think he would have felt if he'd known you were going to go into writing? Well, you know, we had we had sort of quite a good insight into this because when Lee, you know, Lee obviously did it before me, and when he did so, you know, my our father was he was very sensible. You know, he was very, you know, they'd grown up through some really awful, uncertain times, and I think that people in that generation were very they were much less they were they were much more risk averse than than we are. Um, I I was at a point in my career where I was constantly changing jobs, and it drove my dad crazy because in his view, you know, if you had a job, then you clung to it for dear life because you might never get another one. So he couldn't he couldn't believe it when when Lee said that um, he'd lost his job in TV and that his response was to write a book. And my dad um, was essentially he was like a forensic accountant essentially, and he was very numbers driven. He was very analytical, and uh, I can't remember what the number he came out with was, but he looked at Lee and said something like, "Well, I'd say it's about twenty five thousand to one against that you'll be a success." Something like you know some some and, and Lee now will say you know to be fair the 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 odds that he quoted were probably pretty correct, <laughs> but but then that's not what you want to hear. So when, you're, when, when your dad passed away, how many books had had Lee written? Oh 
Well, let me let me think. So when would that have been? I think that was 2016. So that's about five years ago. So he's probably on about his say his nine, somewhere around there. So he was pretty proud by then. I'm by sure. then, definitely, yeah. You know, and they would do things like they they were retired. They moved to a, a small village in Wales, and they were part of a group of kind of retired, you know, retired people that were interested in stuff. So they would go on trips and outings and do different things, and they would invite speakers. So you know, they they had him go and talk to their to their group on a pretty regular basis. So um, yeah, and I'm sure he said, "I'm Lee Child's father." <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> Funny how success can do that to to to, to somebody, isn't it? Really. Right now, here in America, I mean, I, before you started doing the series, I hadn't heard much about you. Does that does that surprise you? Does that does that hurt your feelings? I I didn't know who you were. Well, you know, obviously, I'd be happier if you did. But you know, that's that's unfortunately the reality of publishing. You know, there are there are lots of people who are very good at writing really good books, and getting yours to stand out is is, is, is you know, if there was a magic formula for it, um, I wish I knew because uh, you know, I'd, I'd patent it. But um, no, I mean, it's it's one of those things. It's a long, hard road that you've that you've got to plow. There's there's an expression in publishing and other industries too, but we pinched it. Publishes, you published under Andrew Grant or Andrew Child? Andrew Grant, I guess, right? Yeah, I did, yeah. Until, and part, you know, we changed that when, when I started writing with Lee because what we're doing is different from what normally happens when um, a, a, a series gets taken over by somebody else because generally it's because the original author had died. Um, oh. You know, so the, the estate or, uh, or the, even the publishing house a few years later will say, hey, you know, these books were really popular, maybe remarkable job so far these last two books like I said I can't tell who wrote what now you say you start them in September when do you, when do you finish them normally or is that a secret um, no. <laughs> I mean I don't know maybe it's supposed to be a secret I don't know but um, we, we start them in September and we hand them in at the end of March well, that, yeah that's a long I, 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 that's, that's basically I mean that's not even a year so that's, that's, that's pretty true. fast Does it sometimes your editor just say, get that out of there, don't put that in there, or that's bad, or get rid of that? I mean, theoretically, I mean, we're, we're fortunate in that we, we have a really, really good working relationship. We, we now, because of, of Reach being a global thing, we have an, one editor in London and one editor in New York. And the two editors are both individually brilliant, but they work really well together as well. So, um, you know, I'm so lucky because I know quite a few people who, if they're working with two editors, they can have editors that disagree. They can have editors that are wanting different things out of the book, which 
just for an author, how can you possibly, you can't keep everybody happy in that situation. So, you know, we're very lucky in that. Are they both happy to have Jack Reacher naked in this? <laughs> <laughs> they were a little surprised, I can tell you. <laughs> it's, quite a, it's quite a chapter. When you get to this chapter, whoever's out there hasn't read it, when you get to that chapter, you're going to laugh your head off because it's, <laughs> it's a funny chapter. It really is. It's very, very amusing. And, and I, but I just want everybody to experience it the same way I did, not knowing what was coming. Yeah. I think it's better that way. And then, yeah, you can, you can, uh, you can experience it in its full glory, yeah. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, and I, and I, it's so much fun to even talk about. And I, I, I'm going to have my book group tonight, and I'll be mentioning it to them, and I'll, they'll all look at me like, Oh my God! What is it? An erotic novel now? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Richard crossed, crossed a few genres, and he's now, uh, yeah, now in the romance sphere. Yeah. I, I, do you know the future of Jack Reacher? I mean, over the next three, four books, do you know what's going to happen to him? Absolutely not. No. I mean, it's it's part of Lee's whole thing about not planning. Um, you know, we we just want uh, because quite likely the thing that um, is going to be the basis of the story for those books we might not have even heard of yet or read about yet. Um, you know, if you think about the Sentinel, the Sentinel was one where actually that one he had a little bit more of a purpose because he specifically wanted me to find a way to kind of push Reacher a little closer to the modern day in terms of the technological landscape right. that he was in. Now, and, you know, we did that through ransomware. Now, when they started writing Reacher in the 1990s, you know, none of that stuff had been had been invented. No one, no one could possibly have anticipated it. So, um, you know, who knows what we're going to come across in the next few years? But we'll find its way into the into the Reacher stories. So. Is, is is what's happening in Better Off Dead? Is and we can't. I don't want to go into too much detail about what happens. But is is do you think that's ever happened in real life? Um. You can't rule anything out, and that's you know. One, typically, when I'm when I'm writing, I tend to read nonfiction rather than than, than fiction, um, and so a lot of the stuff I read, I like a lot of World War Two history, for example, and some of the stuff you come across there, it really proves that old that old saying that that. Um, the, the truth is stranger than fiction, you know. There's so much stuff out there that has happened that you that you didn't realize or couldn't imagine. So when you try to make stuff up, I mean, it's it's impossible to guarantee that similar things. But I can almost happen. see this. Just you, the way you describe it, I can almost see it in my mind. I can see those, and I don't want to say too much about it because I'm afraid I'm going to give something away. But I can almost see the pictures of everything and where they were, where he when he goes underneath and and all that stuff that's happening in, in, later in the book. I can almost see it in my head. It's so vivid, and I think, well, maybe it's like it's like you guys have been there. Well, the bit about you know, again, without wanting to give too much away, but the bit that was the legacy of the, um, uh, the oh God, I've gone blank. The works thing, the um, works program. WP, yeah. yeah. Um, the bit that's the legacy of their work, that, I mean, not in that particular town, because we, we, we moved it, but um, there was a town where that physical feature uh, actually did exist. Well, it's, this has been an absolute, I have to, we have to let you go, because you have to get back to writing, but I, you, you are just an, an unbelievably nice person. I can't thank you enough. This has been such a treat for me. I mean, I... And just think how it's going to, his readers will be so happy to hear your voice and to know you're, you're taking care of the series as well, I mean, as best as you can, and you're doing a great job doing it. 
Well, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I hope we can do this again soon. Oh, I hope so, too. I mean, you're fantastic. You really are, and, and I, I can't thank you enough. You, when you do interviews, you never know what the author's going to be like. And you hope you know, it's, the same, it's the same for us, though. We never know. And, you know, we can't give good answers if, if we don't get good questions. So thank you for, uh, for, for doing that, because yeah. it's made it an absolute pleasure. Right, and let's mention the book again, Better Off Dead by Lee. Lee and Andrew Child, a novel, the 26th book. I can't even believe it's been that many books. Delacour Press, it's out now in all your bookstores. And this has been David's Book Talk, and we'll talk to you next time. You have just enjoyed the podcast of David's Book Talk, brought to you by your host, book lover, David English. Please visit us at davidsbooktalk.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and subscribe to our podcast. We want to hear from you, and we don't want you to miss our upcoming shows with top authors like Mary Higgins Clark, Patricia Cornwell, Lisa Scottolini, Jackie Collins, Nelson DeMille, Michael Connolly, Sue Grafton, Steve Martini, Dale Brown, David Baldacci.